all. Welcome to Christmas at the movies. Amen. Amen. We're, we're about to enjoy a movie together. Uh, we always enjoy this time of the year, right? The, and we dedicate here at Promise of Victory, we, we try to dedicate the entire month of December to celebrate. I don't think that the decorations that goes on and the preparation that goes on and all of the spirit should just be relegated and, and narrowed down to just one day. It seems like a, a waste, kind of. So we, we celebrate the whole month. We have different events that go on, and we try to do different kind of outreaches. And one of the things we do here is our Sunday morning services aren't necessarily what you would expect from church. Uh, we, we do church a little bit different on Sunday mornings in the month of December, and we call it Christmas at the Movies. And this is usually called the most wonderful time of the year, right? It's, it's a season of joy. And, and we try really hard to make that exactly that for you. Because we know that as life goes on, life changes, right? And, and Christmas sometimes gets a little bit difficult for people. Maybe you used to enjoy it in one season and you don't enjoy it as much anymore because life has changed and things have taken different shapes and, and forms and you're not exactly uh, as put together as you would like to. Uh, we all like that Norman Rockwell kind of image and, and that's not reality for most of us, right? So uh, what we do is we try to be lighthearted at Christmas time. We, we don't go deep into scripture and revelation and, and things like that. We, we keep it light. We do Christmas at the movies. Uh, but it's very relevant. It's Jesus-centered, and, and it's, it's centered around the Word. And this year in particular, we're centered around one theme, and that is something that you can take with you all the year long into the next year. But I'm going to begin this morning like I did last week because a lot of people seem to get a kick out of it. We're going to begin with a couple of funny letters to Santa. This first one, I believe, some of you wrote... Dear Santa, I've been good all year. Well, most of the time. Okay, some of the time. N never mind, I'll buy my own stuff. <laughs> I, I feel like some of you probably may have wrote that at some point. And, and this next one uh, I got a kick out of. I laughed way harder than I should have at this. Sa Dear Santa, you better bring my pony this year or there will be consequences. I have the same conversation with my wife every Christmas. She doesn't, she doesn't put it in writing. She doesn't want me to have any evidence. But, so today we're going to look at a movie that some of you may not have seen. As a matter of fact, I know many of you have not seen it because I've talked to you the last few weeks and you're like, I've never seen this movie. Uh, it was made in 1974. So some of you didn't even know that the years went back that far. But they did indeed. Go back to the 1970s. This movie was made in 1974. Uh, and, and like a lot of Christmas movies back then, like Frosty and Rudolph and uh, Here Comes Santa Claus, it's made with what's called stop-motion animation, which, if you watch enough of it, is kind of like having an epileptic seizure, I think, uh, because it, the, the way it's herky and jerky. But this year's movie, or this week's movie, is called A Year Without... Santa Claus, and it was based on a book, actually, that was written in 1956, and like a lot of movies back then, it was made specifically for TV. It wasn't a movie that was made for the movie theaters, it was made specifically to air during Christmas season 
on TV, usually on CBS. I think most of these programs ended up on CBS. And the story begins, and you're going to see here in a few moments, with Santa Claus waking up just a few days before Christmas. And Santa has a cold. I don't guess many of us have ever thought about what would happen if Santa Claus got sick on Christmas. Some of you have told me stories of how you got sick on Christmas. Uh, I've told the story from the pulpit before of how our house caught on fire Christmas morning. And we had to evacuate our house and go live with some uh, family members for, or some friends of the family for uh, a couple of weeks while our house uh, got put back together. But some of you know what it's like to have a sick child on Christmas or maybe you yourself. But I never thought about what would happen if Santa Claus got sick. On, on Christmas, but that's what happens here in the movies. Uh, he, he wakes up with a cold. But what we soon find out, and I'm going to use it as the first point of this message this morning, is that it's not just a cold that has Santa down. It's also, he is contemplating skipping going out and delivering presents this year because he feels unappreciated by the world. Santa Claus this particular year is... Faced with the fact that the world has lost its Christmas spirit, doesn't believe anymore, and Santa's doubt leads him to consider canceling Christmas altogether. So let's take a look at our first clip. Have you been told... Did you ever hear of the curious, furious, fidgety year when Santa Claus unhitched his sleigh and vowed he was taking a holiday? How do I know so much about Santa? Well, I'm Mrs. Claus. It was long ago before you were living. Not yet Christmas, but past Thanksgiving, though I can't give you the very date. Santa got up that morning late pulled on one boot and then its twin, ruffled the whiskers on his chin and sat back down on the side of the bed. Great North Star, but I'm tired, he said. Painting wagons red and bright, sharpening ice skates half the night, wrapping presents in ribbons and gauze has worn me weary, said Santa Claus. Cricket my back. Cold in my nose, aches in my fingers, and all ten toes. And a sort of kind of kink inside whenever I think of that Christmas ride. Now, Santa, you just rest yourself a bit longer. I've already sent for the doctor. We'll have you back on your feet in no time. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. No wonder you got the shivering shakes. Probably never got over the case of near pneumonia you picked up last year gallivanting around the world in your open sleigh. And for what? Just to deliver presents to a bunch of folks who don't give a hoot in the first place. But, uh, uh, uh. Now, now, Doctor, it's not just presents, and you know it. What about all that Christmas spirit and goodwill? If you had any sense, you'd give it up as a bad job and stay home in bed this year. Oh, come now. If Santa stayed home, why, there'd be no Christmas. <laughs> Who cares? Nobody cares about Christmas anymore. They don't. Uh, of course not. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me none if nobody even believes in you anymore. Now, Santa, don't you pay him any mind. Nobody cares a hoot and holler for you are Christmas. Oh, by the way, Merry Christmas to you. 
Now, Santa, I hope you're not going to take any of that to heart. No, Ma, the man's right. I, I had that same feeling myself, but I just wouldn't admit it. Nobody really cares anymore. And then besides, the doctor says I'm, I'm really not up to snuff. Besides, I'm due for a holiday. I better call the boys and tell them to cancel Christmas. Warn the people. Tell the papers. I'm much too tired for Christmas capers. But, 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 but Santa, you must be kidding. But it was true. Santa was taking a holiday, and the world would soon know that it was to be the year without a Santa Claus. So, Santa's going through what a lot of us go through, feeling unappreciated, right? Uh, he starts looking at all the things that he goes through for other people, how little they notice that he does, and it starts to get him down. Now, that's a common theme that all of us can relate to, right? But what I notice about this dilemma that maybe you've never thought of, and what I'd like to help you with this morning, is that he started thinking about being unappreciated. Then he started talking about being unappreciated. And the longer he talked about it, the more convinced he became that his feelings was right. There seems to be a correlation between us repeating what we think and us making it seem like our feelings were accurate. In other words, you can talk yourself into craziness. You, you can talk yourself into believing just about anything. And while we're watching these movies, uh, there's a theme that I'm using to tie them all together. And I've used uh, this theme, take Christmas with you. I don't want you to just leave Christmas in December. I want to give you some lessons from these movies that you can use all year long. And we're finding lessons here to have a better life. And the first lesson, or what I'm calling a Christmas present, to take with you all year is what you look for is what you'll get. So going into this next year, I want you to take this Christmas present with you. What you're looking for is what you're going to find. There's a fact of life that a lot of people overlook, and that is you generally end up with what you was looking for. Hey, have you ever had somebody ask you some, something crazy like you tell them you lost your car keys and they'd say, well, where'd you lose them? And you say, well, if I knew that, I'd just go there, right? I, they wouldn't be lost anymore, right? Uh, and, they, and you always find them in the last place you looked, right? Why? Because when you found them, you quit looking. You find what you're looking for. And if you're looking for uh, reasons to be happy, You'll find reasons to be happy. But if, you find, if you're looking for reasons to be miserable, you can find them too. You can come to church and be miserable. You can go to the job you prayed God would give you and be miserable every day you live. Because you find what you're looking for. Here's the deal. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Seek and you shall what? What? Fine. Did you notice that he never said you will find God? He said, seek and you will. So, so you end up finding what it is you're seeking for. 
And that could be God. Or it could be complaining. Or bitterness. Or anger. Or addiction. That You'll find exactly what it is you're looking for. As a matter of fact, previously in that same chapter, he had just finished telling the same crowd of people. He said, when you see a speck in somebody else's eye, don't point that out when you've got a log sticking out of yours. He, he, he told them, if you're looking for what your neighbor is doing wrong, you'll find it. But what you probably should do is focus on what you have going on in your life. In other words, you find what you're looking for. And some of us are real good at finding what's wrong with other folks. And not as good at looking at ourselves and realizing that I can examine myself and keep myself out of a whole lot of mess. If you want to see God, He's everywhere. The Bible even teaches us that. The Bible says that he, His nature, His creation preaches about Him. So in other words, he reveals himself through the birds chirping. And one of the amazing things, somebody like me that grew up in the country, I didn't grow up uh, like some of you did. I, I, was, I wasn't as cultured and polished as some of you. I grew up in the country. And one of the things that's always amazed me is how uh, the trees during the seasons of the year take on different forms. How during the fall time the leaves change and then they fall off and it looks like the tree is dead. And it will go all winter looking like it, there's no life left in it. But the life is still there. It's just in a different form. And then when springtime comes and that sap runs back into the branches and the buds come out and the leaves spring forth. And all of a sudden the apple trees are putting off blossoms which turn into apples. It's amazing to me. That's God. You can see God everywhere if you're looking for him. However, if you're looking to not find God, you can find discouragement. You can find reasons to be upset. You can find reasons to doubt. You can find reasons to have fear in your life. In other words, whatever it is you're looking for, if you seek for it, you will find it. That's right. So there is a book in the Bible. It's an ancient book. It's probably, scholars believe, the oldest book in the entire Bible, and it's named after a man named Job. Some of you Bible scholars thought it was Job. It is, in fact, Job. And Job's book is a long book. It's in the Old Testament. And it's one guy. It's his whole story. It's one, and his whole story is bad day after bad day after bad day. But it didn't start as a bad day. His story started, he is wealthy, He's doing well in business. He's healthy. He's got a big family. Bible says he had ten kids. He had seven sons and three daughters. He looks blessed. He is blessed. Everything Job has is blessed. His job, his businesses, everything he has is blessed. And then the bottom falls out of his life. In what we can only describe in about a 48-hour period of time, Job loses Everything. He goes bankrupt. His house is burned down. He loses all of his businesses. His children are now dead. And he's sitting on the ground with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. I've had one boil in my life. One. Uno. And I wanted to go to heaven. Brother Job had him from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. The Bible says he's sitting in the dirt He's breaking pottery, uh, clay, and taking the shards and just 
digging into his own skin trying to get some relief from these boils. And the thing that most of us forget about Job is he doesn't know why this is happening. See, there was a conversation that went on in heaven between God and the devil about Job. But Job wasn't there when the conversation happened. Job doesn't know where God is. He doesn't know why any of this is happening to him. 37 chapters of Job's story, Job is saying, God, where are you? Does that sound like any of you? Does that seem like a season that you're in or maybe just came out of? Like, you just look around sometimes and say, God, why is all this happening to me? Like, that's what Job, for 37, by the way, Job was not a bad dude. He was righteous. God himself said Job was righteous. In other words, Job was doing all the right things. And all the bad things happened to him. And when that happens in your life, you get upset. You get discouraged. That's what happened to Santa Claus in the movie. He gets discouraged because bad things are happening. He doesn't feel like anybody has Christmas spirit. He feels unappreciated. It's very easy if you talk yourself into bad moods for bad moods to just multiply. And that when, when Job is telling his story, or, or when we're watching as a third person, watching Job's story, he's asking questions like, God, why is this happening? How long is this going to last? Where, where does it all end up? He's very passionate. He's very emotional. He's very truthful. But the devil was doing this to Job. And you know what Job's answer was to the devil? The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then... Job, he lost his kids, but he got to keep his wife. And that sounds like a blessing. Except his wife and his three friends show up, and what they start doing is pointing at all of the things going wrong. And they start drawing Job's attention. Job had said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, because why? He was focused on the Lord. They tried to take his focus off the Lord and get it on everything that was going wrong. She said, why don't you just curse God and die? Look at all of this stuff going on around you. Can I help somebody this morning going into this next year? When you put your mind on a mission to find misery, the devil will help you look for it. So you need to make up your mind to look for the good things in life. You say, Pastor, I don't have many good things. That's because you're not seeking for them. Because he who seeks, that's right. Have you ever met somebody, don't raise your hand and don't look around, look up here. This is a practice we have at Promise of Victory. I'm trying to keep you out of trouble. Have you ever met somebody that is upset all the time? Like they are just perpetually mad never satisfied with anything or anybody. They are always at war with some kind of ideology or some group of people. Yeah, here's, here's what I observe since, especially since 2020. When you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And there are people walking around looking for an excuse to pound on somebody all the time. And we are great at finding the one thing wrong in what could be a sea of right. Have you ever noticed that? How we can sniff out the one thing that's not quite what we want it to be? Uh, they said love you, but they didn't say I love you. What do you want, crazy person? 
Well, they texted and said they were excited to see me, but they didn't use three exclamation points. Are they really excited? And we're always trying to read into something. don't, Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Just keep looking up here. We're just always looking for something. As a matter of fact, let me just testify, so I'll let you off the hook. Um, If you look for rejection, you'll find it. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I I do it all the time, okay? I call it prejection. I just reject myself, and then you don't have a chance to. I just go ahead and talk myself out of believing. I'll I'll tell myself that was a terrible sermon. I'll tell myself that I'm not a good pastor. I'll tell myself that I'm not everything I should be. And that way, you don't have a chance to let me down. Does anybody relate to that? So so when I reject something about myself before you get a chance to, then I've just talked myself into believing that I'm not quite what I should be. But can I help somebody? And, And maybe I'll just help myself. You were made in the image and likeness of God. And for you to downgrade what you are is insulting to the manufacturer. And you don't get to do that. So that's, we're always looking for the one thing when we're cynical and we're critical. We're always looking for that one thing that is wrong. And the problem with walking around life like that is the devil will help you collect evidence. Do you want to find evidence that God has left you? You can probably find it. Because the one who seeks, finds. So do you want to find evidence that the world is falling apart? That we're all on the brink of destruction? That the government's out to get you and that we're all about to die? There's 132 channels on your TV that will feed that if that's what you're looking for. And it don't matter what side you're on, there's, there's channels for each side that will feed that if that's what you're looking for. And, and, and there's also a lot of people, though, in this world that if you're looking for it, they're doing a lot of good. There's a lot of people in this world that are feeding the hungry and helping the hurting and, uh, and trying to get addicts out of addiction and building orphanages. That, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good, but we don't look at that. Do you want to find the flaws in your marriage? Then go to Lucifer's marriage therapy. He'll help you find everything that's wrong, everything that's broken. Every time they said they would and they didn't, he'll help you find it. He'll, get, he'll help you get all the evidence you ever need to where you won't even go want to go back home again. I thought I might get an amen right there, but it's quiet. <laughs> if you want to live in a constant state of regret and guilt and shame for all the bad mistakes that you've made and the choices you've made, you can climb under a stinking pile of condemnation and never have the joy of the Lord. You can find reasons to do that, but if you look in the Word of God, you will find that He came to seek those that were lost, that those that were healed never needed a physician, but there was a man named Jesus that lived a sinless life because He knew in advance you wouldn't be able to. And if you look, you'll find that truth too. That you didn't have to get it all right because He got it all right. And all you have to do is get into Him and He will live through you and save you and bring you to the Father. You can find that too if you look for it. But we're real good at overlooking the good because we like to focus on the broken. We even do it when we pray. I mentioned this last week. Peter's in jail and the church is praying. And we're praying for Peter to get out of jail. And when the angel of the Lord answers the prayer and gets Peter out of jail, he shows up at the house and knocks on the door. Why do you have to knock on the door? Because the door was locked. 
We're praying for Peter to get out of jail, but we don't even believe. We're not looking for the answer. So we lock the door. So while Santa's feeling down and defeated, Mrs. Claus calls the doctor, right? And the doctor shows up. Uh, We have nurses in here. What's the Hippocratic Oath? Do, no. And he may not have done any harm, but he didn't do any good either. Okay? (laughs) He didn't help the situation any because he comes in and tells Santa, nobody believes in you anyway. You ought to just stay home. You're probably still sick from last year and that almost caught pneumonia. He said, nobody's got the Christmas spirit. Nowhere left on the planet does anybody have Christmas. In other words, Santa was already discouraged and the doctor was feeding into what he was already feeling. That leads us to the second Christmas present you should take with you this year. The right team. I'm going to preach here for a minute. So I may never get to look some of you eyeball to eyeball again. And one of the most overlooked but important decisions in a person's life is who they team up with. If you're not familiar with me, I'm just raw and honest, okay? I'm not one of these preachers that just tells Bible stories. I, I tell your story through the lens of the Bible. And people are like elevators. They take you up or they take you down. And you think that you're rubbing off on them, but they're really rubbing off on you. Santa Claus, because of this doctor, actually cancels Christmas. And he tells Mrs. Claus and the elves that they're staying home that year. He was feeling unappreciated, and he was feeling sick. He had a cold, and that was bad enough. But then the doctor came in and began to feed into the negative thinking. And Santa, let's be honest now, Santa's got a pretty good gig. He's only got one job. He works one day a year. And he just called in sick. The one day a year he works. I mean, how negative, how in his feels, how in his thoughts must he have been to have called in sick the one day a year that he actually supposed to work. The people who you team up with matters. It absolutely matters. Obviously, when Santa Claus cancels Christmas, it's a big deal. News spreads all over the world, and there were kids that were sad everywhere. So Mrs. Claus decides that she's going to put on the hat and the coat, and she said, I'll just sneak into people's houses, and they'll never know that it's not Santa Claus. And they realized, she realized pretty quickly that she couldn't pull it off. She didn't have the right stuff to be Santa Claus. So she realized when she couldn't fool anybody, she comes up with another plan. She gets two elves, one's named Jingle and the other one's named Jangle. And he sent, that she sends them off into the world to find Christmas spirit so that maybe Santa would change his mind. And that's going to happen in this clip. I wasn't sure I was doing the right thing, but faced with the idea of having no Christmas at all, drastic measures were called for. Well, well, what's all that racket out there, Ma? Oh, uh, it it was just one of the reindeer getting himself some exercise, dear. What with all the rest and, and relaxation around here, everybody's jumpy as a leapfrog. It just isn't natural for this time of year. They'll get used to it. I have already. I tell you, this is life. If you say so, dear. Uh, Are you thinking that I'm doing the wrong thing by staying home? 
Of course not, dear, but if you should change your mind... Okay, what are you up to, Ma? Me? Up to something? <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Do I look like I'm up to something? No, you don't look like you're up to something, but whenever you look like you're not up to anything, you're up to something. What are you up to, Ma? Now, it's nothing that need concern you. Poor Jingle. Poor Jangle. Jingle, Jangle. Concern it, Ma? What's going on? They're only trying to help. Where are they? Well, they thought they'd just browse around the world and see if the folks didn't really care about you and Christmas. You mean they went down there, out into that cruel world by themselves? Oh, of course not, silly. Vixen went with them. Vixen? She's just a baby. Oh, that poor little girl. No telling what might happen. Now I'll have to go after him. It feels like... Christmas um, come to pass or canceling Christmas altogether. And the two elves end up in a place called Southtown. And they're looking for anybody there that has Christmas spirit. Because Mrs. Claus believes that if they can find one person that's got Christmas spirit, it'll convince Santa to go ahead with Christmas. So there are some people on life's journey that will help you get to where you're supposed to be. Santa Claus has one purpose. Go out on Christmas Eve and deliver presents. You have a purpose too. And there are people that are sent into your life to help you reach your purpose. However, there's other people that are sent into your life that are sent there as a distraction to your purpose. You need to know the difference. Because some people were not sent by God to help you fulfill God's purpose. And if they're not sent by God... Who do you think they're sent by? And what do you think their reason is for being there? They're sent there to distract you from that purpose. They're, they're sent to get you off track. So there's some kind, there, in this movie we're introduced to at least three kinds of people that will help you on your journey. Uh, Santa Claus meets a little boy called Ignatius Thistlewhite. And he goes and he has uh, some soup at his house. And Ignatius Thistlewhite and his dad convince Santa that there are people that still believe because they believe in Santa Claus. So the first group of people that you need to take with you into the new year are the people that believe. Mm. You're saying, Pastor, i got to cut everybody out of my life that's not a believer? Well, for a season it may not be a bad idea, but no, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you better have some believers in, on your team. You need some people that believe that you can live holy. That you can do the right thing. You need some people that will help pull you out of sin and help put you on the right track and headed in the right direction. Yes, you absolutely need people who believe on your team.
Then there's the two elves, Jingle and Jangle. They were willing to get on baby vixen and fly out of the North Pole and look for the whole world, look over the whole world for one person that had Christmas spirit. They're the kind of people that will go the extra mile. And can I tell you, you need to find some people that will go the extra mile for you. Some of you are so tired because everybody that you have on your team takes from you and nobody gives. And the only reason they want you around is because they take from you and you supply their need. You need, going into this new year, to find some folks that are able to help you. will go the extra mile for you and you need to cut some people off. Mm. And then there's Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus saw and heard all of his pity party. And while she placated it, she never went along with it. Because Mrs. Claus refused to let him stay down. And you need some people in your life that won't let you stay down. You need some people in your life that when you text them and say, Oh, woe is me. Does anybody, some of y'all are old enough to remember hee-haw, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Oh, and you need somebody in your life that's not going to be mean or cruel to you, but when you get up and start texting them and saying, I'm having the, uh, the worst damn out life, they won't let you, they won't jump in the hog pen with you and, and get stinky and smelly with you. They'll say, you know what, though? It could be worse. God's got a plan. It, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Keep believing. Keep having faith. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. You can do this. You need people that won't let you stay down. But then there's people that makes your journey harder. Those are the people that you need to be very, very careful with. And you can't have too many of these people on your team. Because if you do, you're going to always be putting out and never taking anything of value in. The first one that comes to mind is the mayor of Southtown. When the, when the elves and the little boy uh, end up in the mayor's office, because they need, <laughs> the story goes a little bit sideways, Vixen gets sick because apparently a, a reindeer uh, in Southtown, it's too hot. So he ends up uh, sick and the dog warden thinks he's a dog and takes him and puts him in the dog pound. And the two elves and the little boy show up at the mayor's office and they ask the mayor to let uh, Vixen out. But he doesn't believe their story. He doesn't believe in elves, and he doesn't believe in Santa Claus, and he doesn't believe in Christmas, and he doesn't believe that any of that is real. And he said, the only way I will believe is if I see the evidence. I want to see it snow here in Southtown. There are some people in your life that you're going to tell them, I'm going to church Sunday. And they're going to say, what in the world for? And you're going to say something about this man named Jesus. You're going to say something about, I believe in God. And they're going to say, where is the evidence of a God? And you're not going to be able to say over here or over there. As a matter of fact, the Bible declares that people will do that in the last days. They'll say, look over here and look over there for the evidence. But you need to say, he's here. I know where he is. He lives on the inside of me. I can't show you, but I can introduce you to him, and he can show himself real to you. Because there's always going to be people who doubt what you believe. And if you have too many of those people on your team, instead of your faith rubbing off on them, their doubt and discouragement can rub off on you. 
Then there's the Miser Brothers. I think we got a picture of the Miser Brothers. Now the Snow Miser, he's on the right. He's on my right here. The Snow Miser controls the northern part of the world. He tries to freeze everything, okay? In the song he sings, he says he never wants a day above 40 degrees. Then you've got the Heat Miser. He keeps the south hot. He never wants to know a day below 60 degrees, but he'd rather see it 80, 90, 100 degrees. Now, this could be me and my wife up here. <laughs> and I'll let you guess which is which. <laughs> However, the older I've got, the less cold miser I can tolerate. I'm more of a middle miser now. I still don't want to see 80, 90, 100 degrees, but I also don't really like it below 40 degrees. So while she is definitely the heat miser, I'm more of a middle miser myself. I don't like that hot, but I don't really like it that cold. And, and the problem with these two brothers is Mrs. Claus needs them to cooperate in order for it to snow in Southtown because that's the miracle that they need. Now, how am I going to tie this into the Bible? I'm glad you asked. When you read Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes to a town called Capernaum. And instead of doing what he used to do, which is stand in the streets and preach, the Bible says he goes into a house. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 3, the Bible says, Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. A paralytic is a man that's paralyzed. His body was dysfunctional. Okay? His only hope was Jesus. And the Bible does not say that this man asked to be brought to Jesus. Look what it says. It says he had four friends who brought him to Jesus. See, it, the Bible doesn't say a thing that this man had great faith. The woman with the issue of blood, when she touched Jesus' garment, she got healed and he said, your faith has made you whole. The blind Bartimaeus cried out because he had faith. The brother who had the withered hand, Jesus said, stretch it forth, and because of his faith, he stretched it forth. But the Bible doesn't say a thing about this man having any faith. What it says is, he had friends who had faith. It makes a difference who you run with. If you've got four friends who have faith when you have none... It makes a difference. If you don't believe me, read about the man who sat by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. My wife and I just taught on this on Wednesday night on Real Talk. His excuse to Jesus was, Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? He said, I don't have anybody to help me. I don't have any help. If you surround yourself with people who are helpless, you won't have any help. But if you have, surround yourself with people full of hope, if you surround yourself with people who believe, if you surround yourself with people who have faith, they can help you. This brother was paralyzed. And there are some things that's happened in your life. I don't even know most of your stories. But there are some things that's happened in your life that has left you paralyzed. And I'm telling you that there is a man named Jesus that can help. Whether it's your trauma, whether it's your emotions, whether it's your history, whether you've been paralyzed by addiction, whether you've been paralyzed because you were abused, it doesn't matter. There's a man named Jesus that can heal you from all of that. 
but you need to be surrounded by the right kind of team. This man couldn't walk. He could not get there by himself. But the Bible said he had friends who looked at him and said, we can't leave you like this. We've got to get you into the presence of Jesus because we know if we can get you there, you can get healed. You need people like that in your life. You need people that are saved. Who are you spending your Friday nights with? Who are you spending your Saturday nights with before you get here on Sunday? You need some saved folk in your life. Some Holy Ghost-filled friends that can pray for you when all hell is breaking loose. Not jump into your pity party. Not jump into your discouragement and make things worse. But will tell you, you know what? I'm going to pray for you and I believe God has a plan for your life. Give me some people that believe the power of God is still real. Give me, surround me with folks that believes that God can change my life. As a matter of fact, put some folks in my life that want to see me walk again. The Bible says they had to lift him above the crowd because they put him on the roof. When they got to Jesus, the house was so full that they could not get to Jesus. So they had to put him... And I've thought about this a thousand different times. I have no idea how they got that brother on the roof. But it wasn't easy. Because there's no easy way to get a grown man up on the roof of a house. They didn't have a skid steer. A backhoe. No matter how they did it, it wasn't easy. In other words, the closer you get, the closer you get someone to Jesus, the tougher it gets. The, the, the more you praise somebody into the presence of the Lord, the harder it gets. But the thing was, they'd come too far to quit. They had decided we didn't, get, we didn't come this far to only come this far. We didn't, we've prayed too far. We, 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 have, we have fought too bad. We, we have uh, enc- encountered too many enemies to just drop you here. We got you this far. We're going to get you all the way to Jesus. These are the kind of people you need in your life. You need to tear the roof off people. You need some folks in your life that are tear the roof off people. Some people that will not quit praying for you. Over and over and over again, Paul tells the people what he was writing to in the New Testament. He says, heaven forbid I quit praying for you. God forbid that I stop, cease praying for you. You need people like that in your life. Not just your grandmother. You need to, you need to intentionally seek out people. That will tear the roof off. That before they will let you drop out of church, drop out of fellowship with God, give up on your faith, they will tear the roof off if that's what it takes to get you back into the presence of Jesus. Just when it looked like Christmas was going to be canceled, the children of the world began to think about all the good that Santa had done. And they decided to make a difference. And this is our final clip this morning. Hey kids, look at the snow. It's really snowing. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, dear, I'll be home early. Well, I should be leaving here in a few minutes. What's that? Don't forget to wear my what? Galoshes? What on earth for? Oh, it's snowing, is it? In that case, I'll... What? Snow in Southtown? I guess those fellas weren't pulling my leg about Santa Claus after all. Santa, wake up. Look at these headlines. Yes, listen to this. Mayors declare legal holiday for Santa. Snow falls for first time in Southtown. And get this. 
Day off for Santa. Yes, and these all say the same. <laughs> well, Mama, I guess you've proved your point. There is some goodwill in the hearts of all men at this time of year. This, especially this, <laughs> proves it. <laughs> the world gave me a vacation. Ah. <sighs> Fast as a hurricane, children hurled the happy message around the world. Over each continent, isle, and isthmus, let's give Santa a Merry Christmas. With snow, the earth was already whitening. They rolled up their sleeves and worked like lightning. They opened their piggy banks and racked their brains. They charted buses and special trains to reach the pole by the 24th was all their goal. East, west, north, and south came gifts and gifts and gifts to spare from clever children everywhere. Tots who hadn't a penny to spend wrote him letters signed a friend. And they had more fun that strange December, they said, than any they could remember. Santa, look, presents from the children. Christmas present for Santa Claus. Can you imagine that? Santa was silent for a minute. His eye looked bright, but a tear stood in it. And then he blew his nose like a trumpet blast. God bless my soul. He said at last. By the big Borealis, by my maps and charts. I didn't know children had such kind hearts. How could a man feel gladder, prouder? Then he turned away and blew his nose louder. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful, dear? When we told all the children you needed a holiday, they all agreed. So this year, they brought Christmas to you. So the last point we're going to make this morning is the last present for you to take with you into the new year. You need to get over what got you down. And I'm not saying that you just forget about it and your troubles disappear. That's name it and claim it. That's all I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you need to filter out the noise. What happened in the story with Santa Claus was in the beginning he was feeling down. He talked himself into feeling worse. And then when the doctor came along, the doctor fed into that negative energy and those negative impulses and those negative thoughts. And he got farther and farther down. But once the children showed Santa Claus that there's Chris, there was Christmas spirit alive always. You just couldn't see it because you were only focusing on the one negative thing. And you missed all the Christmas spirit that was alive all around the world. We do that. We do that all the time. We pick out the one negative thing and make the whole world a bad place. Our whole world a bad place. Well, I, I, I don't... My kids, the government, gas price, it's always something. If that's what you're looking at, if that's what you're looking for, You'll find a reason to be miserable and depressed 
and discouraged. And I'm not telling you those things aren't real. What I'm telling you is you need to learn how to refocus. Here's what Paul says about it. He said, if you want to know what to think about, think on these things in Philippians chapter 4. If it's true, if it's honest, if it's just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, if it has a good report. He said, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. See, you need to learn how to refocus. And sometimes it simply means this. You can't control the noise going on around you. But you can control what you let on the inside of you. So sometimes your discouragement is not an event that happened to you. It's a choice you made to focus on it. So instead of getting discouraged and focusing on that, sometimes you need to just focus on a different message. Won't everybody just close their eyes for a minute and listen 